get it right next time. Joanne, and welcome to the Native Comic Book Society podcast, The Uninitiated. Today, we're going to be talking about appropriations. As usual, The Uninitiated podcast is a all-ages, family-friendly podcast. Welcome to anybody at any level of understanding with comics. We will not have spoilers uh, or advanced themes or adult language. Today, our guest is Veronica Hill, local activist in the New Mexico and Southwest area. I am James Simmermeyer, and along with Nez Evans, we'll be your co-host today. So, Nez, can you give us a real quick, simple definition of appropriation for any of our listeners who have never heard the word appropriation? Sure. Uh, a really good, simple definition of appropriations would have to be when someone incorporates a piece of another's culture as if it was their own, such as hip-hop or headdresses. Thanks. Can you expand on that a little bit and talk a little bit about maybe headdresses? How are headdresses appropriated? Well, I don't traditionally come from a tribe that wears headdresses, so but I do know that it, it's a... Uh, they all hold a significant amount of um, significance amongst uh, the tribes that do. And a lot of times, especially amongst the uh, youth today, and uh, especially in sort of, I guess, hipster cultures, there's this kind of trend of using traditional Native styles and I don't know if I want to say styles, but native cultures and native uh, traditions to seem, I guess, trendy. And uh, a lot of times that the most common one and the most uh, iconic one is usually just the headdress. So people that are not native take a traditional native custom, like wearing headdresses, and make it into something else. So is it kind of like stealing? Yes, it's kind of like stealing. A lot of headbands, too. And one of the main things is that they don't understand the significance, the original significance of what it is they're wearing, but claim that it's their own by making it uh, into something else. So I'm just wearing a headdress for fashion. We'll have our guest, Veronica Hill, chime in. Uh, do you have another example of appropriation in real life? I think a prime example would be like the use of patterns on like women's clothing, like leggings, T-shirts. And I think there have been a few lawsuits by different tribes against um, companies like Urban Outfitters, Forever 21, for using patterns that are generally only used for ceremonies or that are kind of considered sacred. It could be considered one of the least offensive types of appropriation because I think it's so subtle in some ways. The most obvious is the use of the headdress. You know, you see people at Coachella, Burning Man, all these different music festivals using the headdress. But I think maybe one of the most common and the least talked about is the use of patterns on clothing made by big manufacturers that were probably in some way stolen from um, Native American designs and from specific tribes. So as a legal eagle, you mentioned a lawsuit. Is the is the lawsuit based on uh, is 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 offensiveness a is offensiveness one of the issues in the lawsuit or is there another issue? I don't know the specifics of the cases that you know that went before any type of court, but I would think it's one of the main components. Is how is the image being used? Is it being used to portray our people negatively or is it being used to? I guess, promote something. Generally, a lot of these symbols 
um, tend to be sacred to a tribe and to a people. And so use of the symbol for other than what it was meant for by the tribe, um, I think in a lot of people's minds would constitute offensive. This for either Nez or Veronica, what happens when somebody asks permission? That's the thing about tribes is you can't just ask one for person for permission. One person, it's like talking to me and asking me if it's okay if they use a symbol that's sacred to my tribe and I say yes on behalf of 14,000 people. That's not permission. I think there's an issue with actually getting permission because I think American mainstream society tends to lump us all into one giant pan-Indian identity. Oh, well, you're Native American, then you know about Kohari back east, or you know what Navajo considers sacred, or you know what Salish Kootenai considers sacred. It's like, no, just asking one Indian out of millions of us does not constitute permission. Yeah, there's a lot of... uh things that need to be done in the way of just cultural consent and uh, even if you do manage to somehow get like 99 90 percent of like uh, a tribe's uh, consent for something like that there's still going to be that 10 percent of people like me who say no i don't want you to be using it anyways i don't care what the rest of my brothers and sisters say they're stupid don't do it (laughs) they're all younger than me this is the native comic book society podcast what happens when a really popular character that a lot of natives like, something like Warpath, that wasn't created by a native person, wasn't created with consultation of native people, but is uh, perpetuated as one of the most popular native characters in comics? What do we as native people, as friends of natives, and as uh, comic book fans and readers do with a character like Warpath? Is one, is Warpath appropriation? And two, what do we do with them? And if you wouldn't mind, because Veronica is a big comic book fan, but she doesn't know as much about Warpath. Can you break down Warpath for us a little bit, Nez, before diving in? Um, Sure. I'll tell what I know. There are actually two Warpaths, if I remember right. There's... Actually, there's his brother Thunderbird and then Warpath. Oh, well then maybe you should do this. <laughs> oh, wait, you asked me. Okay. Um, there's a Warpath who is a James Proudstar, right? And then there's his brother, who is the other native guy, native guy number four of 30. And um, his name's John Proudstar, and he's a Thunderbird. And he was actually the original native guy on the X-Men team until he, I guess, was killed. And then uh, James became the new X-Men uh, token Indian guy. They both basically have the same powers. They're super strong in uh, indestructible and hand-to-hand combatants. And uh, they were introduced with, I think, the Uncanny X-Men team, which was the second X-Men team after the first one was kidnapped or something. I don't remember. And what what's Warpath's costume look like? I don't remember what it originally looked like, but today it's it usually just follows the regular X-Men pattern. It's like dark blue and yellow. But Thunderbird, I know his traditional costume, I think it was red and blue but it also had fringes on everything. And uh, he wore this goofy, like, headband and feather, which is just default standard uh, Indian dude in costume. And moccasins with fringe on them. Yeah. So, Veronica, as someone who might be new to the character Warpath, would you find that offensive or appropriated? And it came out during the six, during the uh, 80s when everything was very, when comics were actually trying to become more diverse. So he was comic book's attempt at becoming diverse. Initially, off the bat, 
going by today's standards, I would say it's, it has some type of uh, appropriation. But I think you, what we also have to look at in everything we talk about is the context, like the time the character was originally created. And so you're talking about the 80s when Native Americans are coming out, and tribes especially, are coming out of an era of a lot of uh, fighting against the federal government for autonomy and self-determination. Um, you're coming out of an era that had AIM, where you had a lot of like protests and a lot of standoffs and everything. And so um, I think the comic book universe in trying to reach out and make it more diverse was doing the best they could. And considering Native Americans, people probably didn't see a lot of Native Americans all over the place. Like the, I feel like we're more prominent and prevalent now, especially because of social media and because, um, you know, of live feeds and all these different things going on. They were probably using their imagination and a very outdated stereotype of Native Americans. If they did that now, I think that would be a totally different story because I feel like it would be very much appropriation and perpetuating of a stereotype. Um, I think Nez had mentioned that now Warpath has a suit akin to what the, right, all the other X-Men wear. And so I think that's that might be a good thing, but it also might be a bad thing because... I feel like at least I as a Native American want people to know I'm Native American because I'm very proud of who I am and my heritage. And so sometimes when I'm not easily identifiable as Native American, you know, I'm like, I, I want people to know. I think maybe now there's this backlash in trying to make him make Native Americans in media more toned down and kind of blend in, which can also, I think, be a bad thing in some ways. Okay. Also, I just don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but uh, Warpath was or Thunderbird and Warpath. <clears throat> I think were I believe were originally created by Chris Claremont, the writer for X Men at the time, who was very much a pusher of diversity. Uh, a lot of his work um, is when people, even though it's actually I've read that it's actually a a, a myth that uh, Magneto and Professor X were not a metaphor for uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Chris Claremont did objectively try to push that and really did try to say, well, Magneto is the Malcolm X character and Professor X is the Martin Luther King character trying to resolve things through that way. But is it appropriation? Because Chris Claremont's a white guy, right? Yeah. We'll never know. <laughs> so when a, when a white guy does a good thing for brown people, what do we do with that? I feel like that's a first. Ouch. Maybe we should make a podcast about it. Well, that actually brings us great into the next. And this is really the, the meat of what, of what got this, a lot of this conversation started uh, recently was because in uh, February it was announced that, um, that the comic book Scalped was being ordered by a, by a television production company to go ahead and create a pilot for the comic book series Scalped. Um, and so Scalped has been a somewhat controversial comic because while it is well-written and it is award-winning, it is not a very good representation of natives. It is written by a non-native person and the non-native person's entire, um, entire access and his entire point of reference for the series was, uh, research, uh, and it wasn't research that included 
talking to any tribe specifically. So that's a little bit of the background of um, where Scalped came from. But uh, Nez, can you tell us a little bit about the story of Scalped and how it represents natives? Sure. I'm just going off what I remember. I, it's been a while since I read it. The story follows Dashiel. It follows him, and I believe he's uh, somewhat of like a double agent for the FBI. Spoiler alert. Yeah, Spoiler sorry. Alert. <laughs> uh, that's that's like uh, that's like released in the first issue. You don't have to worry about it. Anyways, he gets sent, or he's an ex, a double agent for the FBI, if I remember right. And then they come to him and they recruit him because they need him to do something on um, his home reservation. So they send him in, and he's very reluctant to do it because he's a self-hating Indian, which is a problem that I have with it personally. But he's very reluctant to do it. He goes in. He sort of infiltrates the local tribal government in the area to uh, deal with, I guess, problems with mostly, I think, drugs and other various mafia-related activities that the tribal government seems to be involved in. And feel free to chime in because... No, you got it right, Des. Uh, the the characters are predominantly native, right? All of the character, almost all the characters in the story are native. Yeah. I think, the, if I remember right, the only people that weren't native were just the people that recruited him from, from the FBI. His FBI handler and uh, one other FBI agent. So this is a book that has pretty much 90% all native characters. Or Veronica, I think, read a little bit of it. So uh, do you remember where it took place? What is the location supposed to be? Because it's kind of right on the nose. Everybody, it says it without saying where it's supposed to be. So the location of the reservation, well, the reservation is called Prairie Rose in South Dakota. And so obviously alluding to Pine Ridge located in South Dakota. And or Rosebud. 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 Yeah. So it's without saying it kind of like the same way that Gotham is New York and everybody knows that Gotham is New York. Prairie Rose is either Rosebud or Pine Ridge, but it doesn't actually call it Rosebud or Pine Ridge. It's basically the Gotham of South Dakota. And how is it the Gotham of South Dakota? How is it portrayed in that? It's a very dismal place. It's super sad. There's like, there are very happy moments throughout the comic series at all. And uh, that's one thing I think we all feel was not very well represented in this series in general. And so that's a representation that is moving directly on to become a television show. It's an award-winning comic, but it didn't have, it had a pretty big readership, but not gigantic. But now that it's going to be on TV, which a lot more people have exposure to, this is going to be a lot of people's um, impressions of natives. And so how is that going to happen? And that's the big question that's causing all the conversations like the one that we're having here today. Um, is it right for a non-native person to have created all these characters in a location where he's not from without having consulted it, even though... And this is just in my personal as well as the awards say that it's a good story. So what do we do with that? I can uh, personally, I would just say don't because I don't like the series. <laughs> but other people, I can I I would recognize and I guess get that other people would want that kind of representation if this is if they want representation just for like representation's sake. And I would understand that. And this for either of our guests, are, would it be okay if it was produced by, if the director of the series, if the producer, the people that actually have control were people from Pine Ridge or Rosebud or maybe a respected leader 
used as a consultant. Would that make it okay? I think... Veronica's eyes widened. Um, I think the author of Scalped um, did a major faux pas in only doing research where he just looks stuff up if that's what he did and not talking to people because he is portraying a very real specific set of persons a very real culture a culture that's still very much alive so there was no excuse for him not to talk to them there was no excuse for him to not actually go out and speak to some of the people from this place where this other fictional place is based on if they do do a TV series about it and they don't consult anybody, that is going to be a huge issue, I feel, in Indian country because you have so many resources now. And it's not to say back in the day you didn't, but you have so many people you can talk to about these issues. And these are very, these are still very real issues in Indian country. Whether or not it's going to be okay if a non-native directs and produces it, I don't know. I don't know if a non-native can pull out of this series the true experience of a native person. But that's... To play devil's advocate, and this is, this is we won't go any deeper because this is the uninitiated, so we do want to keep it accessible for everybody, but just one thoughtful point on that. Um, why are natives special? Vince Gilligan did a great show. Breaking Bad was a great TV show. The state of New Mexico and the city of Albuquerque take a lot of pride in it. There is some criticism about the representation, but uh, he did consult with Albuquerque. He did he did work with the city. He did work with the state. He did hire local actors. They did get that, and it seems to have worked. It's and still I'll, a very sad show. It's depressing. It makes me like want to go watch cartoons or something afterwards. <laughs> It has more Emmys than you do. <laughs> okay. Well, I have the podcast, so, you know. Yeah, you do have a podcast, and you're pretty awesome, Ness. Um, Veronica, yes. I think Breaking Bad would actually be a good example of how to go about making a series about a place from a person who's never even or never lived there or been through that particular experience because you just said that. Um, Vince Gilligan talked to people who live in Albuquerque, used local actors, like collaborated with the city to give that authentic feel, to make it, make sure it was portrayed in the way Albuquerque is. And that's the thing people have to take into consideration. Maybe part of Albuquerque is like that. Just like in Scalped, yes, it's a very negative portrayal of Native Americans and the places we call home and where we come from but there's probably some truth to it. That's a mirror that I don't know if we of Native peoples are really ready to take head on, much less have a non-Native portray that on our behalf, allegedly. And so if this becomes a TV series, if it goes that route, whoever produces or directs it or whatever, who's ever a part of it, is going to have to be very, very, very careful in how they go about it because we're talking about some really, really deep issues that affect Native America and our people. Um, but it can be done in in a good way because these are still issues. And I feel like the longer we try to keep it a secret, the more it kills us. And we can't do that. We have to be able to, to honestly talk about these issues. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be all sunshine and lollipops and unicorns. This is hard stuff. You know, we're talking about drug abuse. 
alcoholism, crime, nepotism. Cronyism with, in politics. Yeah. Corruption. With, corruption within our own people. And maybe we don't want to look at it ourselves. And maybe it helps to have somebody turn the mirror on us and say, this is what we see from the outside. Show us it's not true. I prefer to live in ignorance. So I think I'm fine with uh, this not existing. Ignorance left us with a ridiculous sex <laughs> in, <laughs> in the Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> in the words of Batman versus Superman, oh, ignorance is not innocence. It, it just, you know, ignorance may seem blissful, but how much of it is makes us happy. And I think we'll go ahead and start to wrap up. And on a final note with that, just like to point out, I brought up the ridiculous sex because members of the Native Comic Book Society, both uninitiated and the initiated, you do have the power, you do have a voice. And so as it was brought up today by our guest, this is something that hasn't started yet. We do have a voice. We do have a way to go ahead and let producers know, let the television networks know, let the comic book creator know that to move forward with this, they need appropriate and responsible research, consultation, as well as authority and power. And if they don't do that, we have the authority and power to tell them no also. Even though it was a really sad note in Indian country and entertainment, The Ridiculous Six, Adam Sandler's movie, a few Native actors, the people, a couple of people that were extras, stood up and they got that movie changed and brought awareness to the basic blatant appropriation and racism that was going on in the movie. So this is a call to all the all the uninitiated and initiated members. Stand up and have your voices heard. Make sure to go ahead and speak out. Um, we'll make sure to include some information about who to contact, but don't be afraid to speak up and uh, and be heard. Anything else to add, Mr. Evans, Miss Hill? If the scalp crew is looking to hire somebody as an extra, I'm also wide open after some time, the end of July. <laughs> That's shamelessly plugging. Additionally, if the scalp crew is looking for legal representation, I am licensed in the state of New Mexico to practice law. And if the scalp crew wants to hire me as an extra, they probably won't because I'm chubby and light-skinned. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. So please stick around because coming up next, we have The Initiated. As usual, The Initiated does include some livelier language, and it's probably not safe for the family or work, but enjoy because it is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to have a special guest, Maggie Eagle Bear. Thank you for listening. See everybody next time. It's too late now. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Warning, warning, warning. The initiated podcast contains strong language, adult themes, and it contains spoilers and topics that may not be understandable to beginners. Warning. And there's a gift. I'm just gonna rage. Fuck, fuck, shit, fuck, motherfucker. I swear to fucking God. Fuck, fuck, fucking, 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 fuck, fuck, shit, fuck, motherfucker. I have no more fucks to give. They're all given out.
I'm Maggie Eaglebear, and this is The Initiated Podcast, and today we are talking about appropriation. Welcome to The Initiated. We had a great introduction by Maggie Eaglebear. I'm James Sermermeyer, along with Nez Evans, and our special guest today is Maggie Eaglebear, an activist and a uh, very angry person. So today we're talking about appropriation. Uh, this is basically a continuation of the uninitiated, but... Um, we're just diving straight into it. Everybody knows the issue. Everybody knows what's up. It's this issue again. So Maggie, tell us about why appropriation is still important. Well, appropriation is still important, obviously, because our culture is still very much alive um, and changing. And for the longest time, we've had other people control how we've been perceived. And now in this very fabulous digital age, um, we actually have the power to control how we're portrayed in the media, in television, on the radio. And so I think appropriation has probably become even more important maybe now, both to educating other people about our culture and that it's not a costume, but also educating ourselves in terms of are we buying into our own stereotypes as Native people? I think that's a huge issue right now because... In some ways, these traditions that we hold in so much esteem um, and we don't want people to appropriate, we don't want pe- non-Indians to appropriate, um, how traditional are they really? But they're stealing our <laughs> Is this an issue, non-issue, or what's what's the issue? <laughs> I mean, everyone knows. Uh, issue, non-issue. <laughs> so issue, non-issue is the, is this the most important thing facing Indian country? Is white people stealing our shit really the most important thing in Indian country? Or is it more important that we address the issue that Maggie just raised of cultural loss? Um, I don't think it's a matter of issue, not an issue. I think every chance, or if, if we're, I feel like if you're on the defense, you should sort of take every opportunity to sort of defend yourself. I don't know. I haven't had much time to think about it. You're thinking about it now, man. Just talk. You think about this entire life. Your family and your parents are activists. This is like your life, man. And when your activist culture and your activist people and your activist parents have trained you and taught you to be on defense, and when it hits home for us as members of Native Comic Society, the people who are trying to go ahead and figure stuff out, what does that mean for us when something like Scalped gets uh, gets ordered as a pilot for a TV show? One okay. of the – I like Scalped, so everybody who says that Scalped isn't any good. But I realize <laughs> that it's dangerous. It's kind of like liking meth. You know, it's not good for you. It definitely is dangerous. But I guess I'll just go along with that. Uh, it is important to sort of combat every kind of thing that will be coming your way to defeat the self confidence of every I guess native young native person that's currently living on the reservation and whatnot and just sort of I feel like what the scalp series is going to do is it's going to kind of reinforce this idea that life on the reservation is not really a life that is something that you want to be experiencing personally I didn't grow up on the reservation neither did I (laughs) Maggie has not either this is the worst podcast (laughs) But I think that's the that's the whole point is that 
when you strip away the details of people's lives, there are common threads and common themes that go throughout. Addiction, domestic violence, intergenerational trauma. Unfortunately, Native Americans seem to like to tout that term, intergenerational trauma, intergenerational trauma. We've been oppressed since Columbus set foot on this great continent, but intergenerational trauma also happens to non-Native Americans. You have families um, that are rife with alcoholism, generational alcoholism, um, that aren't Native American. And so we, it's easy to pick apart based on the details, but I think what needs to happen is to look at the similarities, identify rather than compare. There are so many people who are non-Native who deal with domestic violence, who deal with abusive families, who deal with addiction, alcoholism, drug abuse, and they don't live on the reservation. They live in cities. They live in very urban areas. And so while... Scalped does give a very negative portrayal of Native Americans and reservation life. You can go to some of the biggest cities in America and find the same damn things. So that goes back to what we were talking about in the uninitiated podcast about are Indians special? If we all deal with the same issues, are we so special and can you we get are help? Not special. You are a monkey why, flying why through you space. <laughs> you are the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Like, oh my God, that's so. Are we all just nihilist? Are we all just like? Yeah, no, but there is there is good that can come out of this because it's letting the secrets out and letting us deal with it. This is somebody who's not Indian is holding up a very ugly mirror, but the thing is, it's not untrue. And that's what hurts. That's what hurts me to know that my people, some of them do live like that. Some of them do have that mindset. But what also I have to look at is the exact opposite. And I have to look at the people sitting in this room talking about this stuff and hoping that some kid on the reservation who maybe the only thing they have is Internet access because they don't have TV or maybe they don't have a phone or, you know, they managed to get reception somewhere in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm hears this podcast and is like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Nice job, Maggie. Reverend Nez. Reverend, okay. Um, uh, I, th- I, th- I like the idea that this is going to be sort of a mirror that shows natives, I guess, their own problems and things that need to be dealt with, but... I also don't think it needs to be a TV show. There are other ways of just holding up a mirror to natives that that can show them things that need to be changed. And those mirrors can be held by actual natives living in these situations who have risen up to take on that role. Like and it also doesn't need and like teachers. Yeah, it doesn't like need to be on TV. Economic it doesn't employment. need to be seen by everybody else that's going to be watching the show along with just people living on the reservation. These things can be done by people not working in the entertainment industry. There are leaders outside of that industry that we can also hold up to be holding. We can hold up these leaders holding the mirrors down on us. Because the courts, because the education, because the economic development, because the cultural systems in Indian country are working great. Whatever, Jay. (laughs) I just keep it real, man. That's the, that's the, that's the. But there are, there are leaders outside of those areas of. Outside of education, outside of courts, outside of 
outside of what was the what was the third one? Who? Show me show me your leaders. Show me your leaders. Show I me the pie. I consider you to be show a leader. Me You're a leader, James. Show me the pie. Show me show me the leaders. We have le- like there are leaders there are like mothers and fathers and uncles who aren't in the in the, in the education. Did you system. just call me a leader? Yeah, I would definitely call Aww, you a leader, James. Thank you, Nez. I appreciate that. You <laughs> helped start the Native Comic Book Society podcast, which I believe, or, and Native Comic Book Society group in general, which I consider almost consider a, like a leader in and of itself. It's a leader for, um, I guess, young natives who actually like who are into this kind of culture and it we're helping promote uh other natives and or other native work and native uh up and coming native young native artists and also bringing a light to native issues within i guess the medium we have right now which is the group we have online and also through this podcast as well we can do that we can do more things like this podcast more things like the native comic book society group instead of having a non-native through academic research put something on TV that's more for economic gain. Dang. Nez representing hope. I think you need a mic drop on that one, Nez. I need a coffee. Honestly, that was good because uh, because I know Maggie's work through social justice, she sees a lot of ugly stuff every day. Uh, the work that I do, I see some not so not so bright spots, so it's uh, it's nice to see some bright spots, Nez. You are a bright spot in this uh, dark, dark world of Indian country. I don't know about that. <laughs> Swear to me. <laughs> let the hope flow through you. Let the hope flow through you. That's right. Just let it in. <laughs> so what do we do when this keeps happening again? It happened in Ridiculous 6. It's happening now with Scout. It happens at every single hipster little party out where they're doing their molly and their lily and all that other and they're still they're still they're still idiots that think that uh that indians aren't real or even justice sotomayor said one time that uh states out west where there's more real indians living are we are we educating people is this a form of education is education shifted over to things like podcasts and facebook groups I feel like this is something that's going to keep continuing to happen, just misrepresentations. And misrepresentations is always a word that gets thrown out all the time, but that's all that's because it's it's a constant thing that I personally I think is going to be constant. And unfortunately, there're going to have to be people within the native community who are constantly combating that. But this is just a personal idea of mine and how I think it's going to have to continue until some time in the next couple thousand millenniums or so that it just stops happening. And I'm appreciative of those people who go out of their way to combat that. I actually think that, um, I know I said this before, but letting those secrets out and a, a way to get rid of the stereotype that people have about Native Americans is to show that at the end of the day, we're human. We're just like everybody else. Like I said, we deal with the same issues people who don't live on the reservation or who live on the reservation deal with. Um, it's that human factor. I feel like once we show that we're not these stereotypes like Scalped, because Scalp does portray a very specific ter- stereotype of Native Americans, just like 
there are other more positive things that may portray very stereotypical Indian things. Um, the crying Indian at the piece of litter? Yeah. Iron Eyes Cody? <laughs> I used to have a poster of Iron Eyes Cody. That could be, you know, that somehow we're dressed in our traditional regalia all the time or that... Uh, I have mine on right now. What are you talking about? I, I've got my, my camp dress on underneath all my regular clothing. All I'm wearing is a bone breastplate and a headband. We've we've talked to you about this, but James wanted to come on anyways. <laughs> so it's, but, it wasn't considered sanitary. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's once we we break down those stereotypes, both good and bad, and show at the core of it that we're human. We deal with the same issues. Um, I think that's also a very good way of of getting of dealing with appropriation because what is there to appropriate? After that, like we're, we're 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 human, we're human, and and but that that's a very real identity issue with Native Americans, though, because okay, so now we've told everybody we're just like them, but what still makes us special? And my tribal ID makes me special. My is my political membership, my distinct political membership, my my cultural membership. You know, what I mean, so I think appropriation is, you know. For me, being Native American is very much a balance and understanding the connectedness of everything. And so when I see something that's appropriated by a non-Native and it bothers me, I have to really ask myself why it bothers me. What about it do I see wrong with it? Is it something I have to do with my own identity or is it harming Native Americans in general? And maybe it is and maybe it's not. Maybe it's because... I'm dealing with my own identity issues and struggling to find that path between being an urban native, but still being native, but living in this very outside world. Or, you know, there are a lot of different issues that go into appropriation. It's not a standalone type of thing. So it's not just entertainment. It's 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 everything. What kind of a question is that? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know how to segue into the, why are you looking at me? This is a roundtable discussion. Again, roundtable, circular, native. I think, oh my God. <laughs> Shut up, please. Stop, Way to stereotype stop, us right now. Stop appropriating my circular thought. Stop <laughs> appropriating to... my cyclical Stop forcing your linear thought down my throat. Way to convey a very stereotypical I just idea it. of an Indian. Thanks. All right, fine. So basically what I want to talk about is the education part. The I love Sopranos. I love Sopranos. I watch Sopranos every single day. I love Sopranos. Therefore, I know all about Italian hey. life and what it means to be Italian. That's right. I do. No, because that's what the thing is, is that some redneck in Nebraska thought that that's what Italians are actually like. When the, when the creator of Sopranos is an Italian guy... An Italian American from New Jersey said, "No, nah, man, this is a this is a story. It's fictional." But there's so many people that learn from that. So, as Indian people in our place in the world, are we forced to educate people all the time through every single medium, or can we just write a f-ing story or a play that we like without having to make it so fantastical that people can't understand? Say that again. <laughs> I just, I would, so again, I'm going to go on record to say that I like Scout. It was a kick-ass story, but I am intelligent enough to recognize that that 
while maybe having some connection and reflection of Indian country, isn't Indian country. Those tattoos were ridiculous the way they drew the tattoos. I don't know a single Indian person that has tattoos the way that those tattoos looked and the dudes with tramp stamps and that kind of stuff. (laughs) I don't know a single native dude with a tramp stamp. But I can separate, and that's a very small detail, but it was a good story, man. It was a good it was a good story. And so are we as native people going to have to go the rest of our lives without ever telling a story that is based in a realistic setting that can be fiction? Or is every single thing that we make from now on either going to have to be so ridiculously fictional that it has to be like superhero stuff? Or can we just tell a good story? It still doesn't make sense, does it? I know. Understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> can things like like Italian Americans can make Sopranos? David Chase can make Sopranos because he has enough power and authority to say this is a fictional story. It not all Italians are like this. This is based in a reality. It's based in New Jersey, which is a real place, but it's just a good story. And so now Indian people, we can never tell any good stories anymore because everybody will assume that it is they'll treat it like a piece of ed- they'll be educated by that story they'll be they'll they will think that that is what indian life really is like and since it was written by an indian it must be true so now we are stuck telling fantastical stories about about mythological creatures and beasts just so that way people can who because of the ignorant who consume this stuff aren't understanding it appropriately I don't I I don't think it's impossible to write a good story that's also educational. But I don't want to be the educator. I don't want my story. Sometimes a story is just a story. JD Salinger, y'all. Oh my god. <laughs> I think it's it's unfortunate, but it's a burden that all Native Americans have. Like is to unfortunately I educate. I don't want that burden. <laughs> unfortunately, to educate the uneducated, ignorant masses that I am not a stereotypical Indian. I don't walk around in my traditional regalia. I, I don't put my ear to the ground and listen to see where the water is. I'm not innately born with some type of wisdom. That I am a human being just like you and I deal with the same issues. I just so happen to have a very living and vibrant culture that I am and and I am a distinct political entity with a sovereign homeland. Um, Can you please please spell sovereignty for us, Maggie? (laughs) S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. Sovereignty. You weren't born with wisdom. I I was was born, born. I I came out of the womb knowing how to spell sovereignty. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, you're cool. Monica's cool, fuck you, I'm out. Well, I mean, oh yeah, I I was going to say, fuck you, fuck you, you're Indian, fuck you. (laughs) I don't want to be, I don't want to be your educator. I just, I just... It's definitely I I think it's definitely unfair, James, and it's it unfortunately it's not fair. unfortunately it's the task that it's it's on I think it's on everybody. I think it's on us mostly as native people, but also a part of it is on everybody else that is 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 reading these stories and there needs to be some sort of uh attempt or like motivation from them to go out and see 
it there's a there's a need for them to know that this is if you if we're if if I go along with your your idea that we want people to recognize that these stories and that these ideas are not truth. One thing I think maybe we could do as native people is is to emphasize that point is that these are these are stories written by native authors, but it's also not the exact situations that native people are going through. And I'm not sure how much I'm contradicting what I said a couple seconds ago, but also it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then um. And it, it's it it's gonna take some work from people outside the native community who are experiencing the stories. That it's gonna we're all gonna, shaking our heads. <laughs> <laughs> we're nodding in agreement. They're all they're gonna have to go out. Unfortunately, it's mm. it's more work from everybody else. But they're gonna have to go out of their way to find out what the situation is like. But I also don't think it's impossible to write an accurate story that's also a good story. It's not the Indian story that the world deserves, but it's the Indian story that the world needs. But <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I've said this probably at the, earlier in my rant, that I feel appropriation is tied to how we view ourselves and our own identity as Native peoples. And I do think that a lot of Native Americans, and I know this is probably going to be a very unpopular opinion, a lot of Native Americans have bought into the 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 stereotype that we are we come out of the womb with innate wisdom that I just am balanced and one with everything. Um, think of any type of Native American stereotype, and you meet a lot of Indians who have bought into that. And so, when we're trying to to educate people, we ourselves have to look inside and separate the fact from the fiction. Fry bread is traditional, and so is fancy Nancy. <laughs> Fry bread is the oppressor's bread that was given to us <laughs> by the federal government when they put us on reservations, and now we revere it, even though it causes diabetes, and it's made of literally the most barest of ingredients. But it's so good. Yes. Maggie, Maggie, you are a sellout. You do not acknowledge the power of fry bread. Fry bread is traditional. It is part of the sacrament of Indian country. <laughs> Fry bread and Kool Aid. <laughs> okay, stereotype. I, Whoa, I I'm sorry, Jesus. <laughs> I feel I feel something similar, but I think I have a different opinion just on the stereotype that people are buying into. I think the the other stereotype is that natives are buying into is that it's is that natives are on this sort of like downward spiral, or they're either in a they just all natives come out of a negative environment in that those environments usually have nothing to offer when it comes to positive native identity reinforcement. Positive and, youth development, y'all. Okay, just derail my argument while you're at it. Okay, anyways, um, and I think that stereotype is something that really overlooks a lot of the work that uh, native youth and native leaders have put into creating, in, into improving these uh, native communities and these native homes and reservations and I guess neighborhoods if you're in the city it's it's almost it almost disregards a lot of good that native people create amongst themselves and the idea that that native good amongst uh, the people is that that native good doesn't exist is I, I think a different stereotype that a lot of natives buy into and I think that's just going to be perpetuated even more by the scalp tv show dang so, Indigenous Narrative Collective, a partner of Native Comic Book Society. So good. 
produces and is uh, creating lots of good work. In uh, March, they uh, they posted the need to call for editors. So native people out there who know how to edit, they are looking for potential editors. They got a whole bullpen of great native authors who are creating native stories and uh, native stories that aren't just based in the negative stereotype. Buy their shit. <laughs> I just like to say... <laughs> Thank you, Fernez, for pointing out that very that other type of stereotype. I think that's something I didn't personally see, and it's good. It gives me hope. I got hopes. It's because Maggie's fighting all the time. All she knows, all Maggie, all Maggie knows, is fighting all the time. She is a pugilist. You I, need some INC comics. I come from a warrior people. What tribe are you, Maggie? Nobody knows. My tribe walks with the wind. <laughs> I am Walks with the Wind. I am your friend, Maggie. I think that we're just about tapped out on the topic of appropriation. We kind of strayed a little bit from the comic book, but it's really important to remember that what people read is, uh, I don't even know. Important. (laughs) What people read is important, and this is important work. Anything else to add? Any final thoughts, Maggie? Just think. Think about (laughs) I know it sounds Think about what y'all tried to do to me. Think about what it's done to our people. No, I mean, seriously, like what you said about reading, think about what you're reading and how it's portraying anybody because that is one person's one-sided portrayal of a particular type of people, mutants. I mean, you you portray mutants in a negative light. I mean, you know, just think about that. There's more to it than just what you read. Can we talk about mutants yet? Marvel and their mutant... It's a problem. The stereotype of mutants. The there, mutant, the there mutant are appropriation. Mutant no, That's... it's the mutant. It's the mutant elimination. The phase out. It's happening. I know it's happening. And that's what I'm. That's different. That's a different podcast. <laughs> that's 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 a different podcast. But that's what I'm talking about. I just want a story based in reality, not one where some dude has laser beams shooting out his eyes. But. Be critical when you read something like X-Men. Think about where it came from. Think about how it applies to your own life. And uh, Side note, get rid of the laser eyes in my story. <laughs> any final thought, Nez? No, I don't have any. I've cut off a Nez enough today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. And uh, enjoy yourselves. Good night. S. O V E R E I G N T Y Sovereignty. I got hopes. The Native Comic Book Society podcast is brought to you by young adult novels written by non natives about natives. Keep up the good fight, Sherman, Joseph, and Cynthia.